0: Good evening and welcome to episode 29 of In Inside. I'm Dom Harbin. I'm joined by JK and Jack Donovan. And tonight we're joined by the man who does this. Turning into a public enemy, man. Now remember that line you was kicking to me on the way out to LA Loudouns and Queens Queen. while we was in the car on our way to the shop. But well, yo, right now, kick the base for them brothers and let them know. what, what goes on.
1: Rolling stones the rack and not bragging. Lip's bigger than
0: Jagger, not sagging. It backwards, I'ma leave it at that. Of course, we're joined by former Leeds, Leicester, and Bristol number eight, Mr. Jordan Crane. How are you this evening, Jordan? Yeah, good. Not too bad. Good, good. How's uh, how's lockdown been treating you? Obviously, uh, cutting the season short, seemingly, um, and then obviously you announcing well your retirement sort of last week. You know what's uh, what's on your what's on the horizon for you? Um,
2: so yeah, lockdown's been good. It was sort of at the beginning. It was sort of, am I still going to play? Am I not going to play? Um, are we gonna get the season going again? Um and then the thought of going for another pre-season, I thought <laughs> <laughs> to finish off the season, I thought not for me. Um so no, so I'm um this year I did like a dual uh coaching and playing role, uh coaching the under 18s at the, the Bristol Academy. So um, you know, I'm gonna take that full time next next year. I well, already have so. Um yeah, looking forward to it. It's a good smooth transition to what, what I want to do after, so it's good.
0: Good, good. So just touching on your playing career, obviously, uh notice you're a bit of a footballer to start off with before you uh, switched to Rob Union. What was uh I mean, what was that all about really? Uh no, I played football till I was 14.
2: Me and my brother, uh both football man, my brother went on to he he did a YTS with West Brom, played for Burton Albion, Rushden and Diamonds. Um, play play he still plays non-league football now, he's semi-professional. And you know we both our dad both made us play in goal, which is not the most exciting <laughs> position. Um, so I sort of got to this stage where I was I was in the West Brom German Academy at 13. You played in goal, you play half a game a week. At 13, that's not what you want to do. Um, mm. I I went to high school. All my friendship group changed. They all played rugby. Um, I got in the character team. They were like, why well, don't you come play rugby with us? So I uh, ended up down Worcester, mini and juniors, and and went from there and uh, never looked back, really. sort of two, three years later, I got a scholarship to go play rugby at Colston's. Brilliant. Perfect.
1: But where, did, where did the were going all the way up to Leeds, come about? All the way up to Leeds. So That's a big that's a big, uh, big trek from Colston's yeah. to Leeds.
2: <laughs> so I was, in the, I was in the Bath Academy. Um, so basically they paid 50% of all the boys' scholarships to go to Colston's. Um, so the Colston's team was ridiculous. We had sort of 18 schoolboy internationals in our first team seven or eight of us from my year went on to play professional it was ridiculous team but um, yeah so and then that relationship sort of in my last year it sort of broke down between Bath and Colston's and they there was like myself Tom Vandell Shane Geraghty um, we were all in the Bath Academy and none of us ended up going that I went and met with John Connolly. And he was like, no, you're too small to play second row. You're not quick enough to play back row. We don't want to sign you. So I was like, oh, great. What am I going to do now? I just captain England under 18s. I thought, oh, I must be all right. Um, I went and met with Nigel Melville at Gloucester. Uh, They were keen to, to sign me and go to Hartbury. And Stuart Lancaster was peppering me for ages to go to Leeds. And... You know, I was just like the amount of love that they showed me and how much they wanted me to go there. You know, they had aspirations for me to play early on uh, with Phil Davis there as well. Um, I just couldn't turn the opportunity down because I thought, a young lad, I want to play as soon as I can, uh, senior rugby, and went there, played at 18, um, played A-League, played first team, played Parker Cup, played all of it My 18. I played... 50 game, 50 senior games by the age of before I was 20. So it was, it was, that was the reason behind
1: the move to Leeds, really. And Stuart Lancaster, good old Yorkshire hospitality. Eh?
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the... um, I was just going to ask Jordan because obviously, Don mentioned about your footballing skills. How much of that came in handy for the Heineken Cup semi at Millennium?
2: Oh, the, the question that everybody wants to know about the, the shootout, you know, is the, the claim to fame, but, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those things where growing up, all I wanted to be was a footballer, so when you do that, you dream of, like, scoring the winning penalty in the FA Cup final or something like that, and, and being a footballer, it, through the age groups and stuff like that, I'd kick goals and stuff like that anyway, and then when you when it becomes more serious when it becomes professional, you just nah, you're not kicking. You're a forward, you don't kick. Um, so like it was almost I knew that I could I could kick, but um, as soon as soon as it went into penalties, we didn't even know that it was going into penalties to be honest. After hundred minutes you were pretty delirious. Um, anyway. And they say, Oh, this is a penalty shootout. Like. So you get a few guys step forward and go, Yeah, I'll take it and then the rest of the guys go to the back of the, the huddle but I was one, I was confident I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take one um, I, I'd have took one earlier but, um, you know as fate had it, I happened to be last up, it was lucky because Harry Ellis was after me and he was crapping himself that much he was trying to go to the other end of the pitch to try and practice before he could, uh, before he could go so it was a good job I, I managed to finish it there and then, yeah.
3: Brilliant I was, I was going to ask, obviously you've said about your coaching with Bristol under 18s and everything and obviously you're already in that role. During lockdown, is that something you've managed to have communication with the boys who are in that setup? And does- Yeah, so
2: um, what we did straight away was uh, WhatsApp groups were set up, um, you know, all training plans were sent through. We sent through ideas of drills that they can do by themselves that, you know, now they can can sort of train in pairs or whatever if they've got a brother who they can train with or a sister or a dad or whatever there's, there's stuff that they can be doing and uh, you know so we, we've kept on top of it and it's probably good to have that contact time with them because when they're at school and off at school they've got everyday life going on it so you know we've had some some real good good outcomes with that and then we have sort of a Zoom meeting once a week just just seeing how the lads are going giving tasks and stuff to do um, around rugby education and stuff like that. So, you know, it's been, it's been a real good, productive time for us. Like, there's nothing better than we'd want to be back training and playing. And we, we built up some momentum as an academy last year. So, you know, we're looking forward to this season to having a full season with the guys. And, and you know, there's been a big shake-up with the Bristol Academy. So, um, you know, but, but we've made the
0: most out of the period that we've had. And what are your thoughts on, obviously, well super Rugby is due for a return on saturday um and then obviously the premiership sort of moving onwards do you think it's the right thing to do finish the season being how close it is for those uh, european spaces i think so from a bristol perspective we're going to win the league but <laughs> <laughs> <So. laughs> oh, oh
1: big words
2: <laughs> no i think uh i think it'd just be it, if you can finish it why not um yeah you no, know, if it doesn't affect the long-term nature of the game, uh, it's sort of a it's a funny period, isn't it? Because the boys have never have had this much time off for their bodies to settle down, their bodies to recover. Um, you know, probably the international guys and that have been crying for a period like this to 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 get their bodies back in working order. Um, you know, as long as it doesn't have an effect of all of a sudden you go from. August the 15th until July next year or to August next year without without rest and it's not safe for the players, Um, I don't see why not finish the season and, you know, they talk about it helping out, sorting out the global calendar and and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it might be a good thing for the sport.
3: Yeah, and it's a lot of that is because obviously there's been talk as well about six nations, whether to make it a home and away fixture and everything. And like you were saying, a lot of the international boys probably sort of crying out for this at the moment. Um, Particularly, sort of club wise, has there actually been a lot of because there's sort of a debate going on as well that this sort of break could actually help give a player like another year in their career and a is that something a lot of the Bristol boys have sort of spoken about? Are they feeling the benefits?
2: Um, I can only speak from my experience. Um, obviously, I don't have to go back and play, but my body feels 10 times better. It was pretty much shot by the end of it, but I was ready to be put down anyway, so it didn't really matter. Um, no, I can only, only, only presume that the boys are feeling better. Um, you know, with us at Bristol, we, we've, not, we've not stopped because, you know, the boys have got to stay in shape, they've got to stay, stay fit, ready to go. But just mentally and as well, you know, just not that day-to-day contact, even though you're not doing contact every day, but just the heavy grind of it or bumping into each other, it does take its toll after a while. So, you know, a prolonged period of, of not doing that is, good, is going to be good
3: for anyone. Great. Right. Um, I was going to ask as well, sort of saying on the on the coaching front, obviously you said about the under eighteens and everything with that whole setup have you actually got or is it something it might be something that 's already in place, but look at development links like with different schools in the Bristol area have you got many like signed up to either like feed a program or do you like go into various schools and do lots of work with them so that they can feed that system
2: yeah so I think this was part of the problem when I mentioned about a, a shake-up with the academy at the start of last season. Um, Danny Grucock went into Clifton College and he's sort of, um, you know, the go-between between Bristol and, and Clifton College is you, you sort of see you need a big big public school and then you also need an AC school. So we've got Philton College as well um, that, that we get so many players from and they do a great job as well. Um, and then there's, there's all sorts of school route, schools around the southwest that that we get players from. We get some from Harbury because they they're born in Bristol and they want to play for Bristol instead of Gloucester. Um, you know, goes goes all all the way up the the uh, the M5 there, and, and and we get we get a great mix. But probably our two biggest schools are, are Filton and Clifton, and we we've got a good relationship with those guys. And then there's also BGS and the schools around Bristol, Colston's uh, not as big a rugby, rugby school as when I went there, but they still produce some great players and uh, they're going to be strong next year. So, you know, all the, all the schools around here are pretty good.
0: Good, good. So just circling back round to Chris, so obviously from Leeds, you've gone to Leicester for was it nine, ten years. Obviously, plenty of success there. How was your time there working, obviously, under Cockrell? You know what's he like up 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 close as a human being? Because we only sort of see this sort of persona. Uh,
2: yeah, so ten years with him, um, I don't know, just about grew to like him after ten years. He was alright. <laughs> um, uh, I think um, how to put it. My first two years were the toughest because um, you know the culture there. You've got to prove your worth, and you've got. To, You've got to um, show show your value, otherwise, you know, you get spat out. Um, and that was part of the reason why they were so successful. You know, uh, they weren't just they, they were accommodating, but you know, you've got to prove yourself to that team and those mm. guys. And uh, Cocker's did a great job of driving that and leading the culture. Obviously, playing playing. There. At times, he was harsh, but at times we needed it. And um, you know, I've got great respect for him. Um, yeah, you look at the job that he's done at Edinburgh, he's, he's, he's turned, turned them around. And he's probably done it with the, the same way that he did with us. Uh, you know, he, he, it's definitely the, the stick and not the carrot. But, uh, you know, that, that was that was the way that he was. And he was demanding of us. But it made us successful, so so we didn't mind. And, uh, you know, I'll probably
0: look at Leicester now and they'll probably miss a little bit. Do you think he'll ever sort of return to Leicester? You know, sort of didn't didn't leave on on massively great situation, and as you said, there there has been a noticeable sort of change in the club. Um, Do you see him coming back? For, you know, further down the line.
2: I don't think so. I don't think so. I think um, you know he'd look back at his time now, um, and he'd, he'd be proud of what he achieved with us boys and the way that it ended, um, it sort of ended six months after I left, but I could sort of see it coming before then, um, which was was sad to see, but, you know, sometimes, you know, myself as well, myself included, sometimes things just run their course. And, you know, you, you the place changes, you don't fit the mold anymore and that's it. So that, that was the same for me, 10 years, And, you know, Aaron Major came in, I I didn't fit the way that he wanted to play and all of a sudden it was, see you later. Um, Partly my decision as well. Um, But with Cocker's as well, I think, you know, it just ran its course. Um, And, you know, he's gone on to show how successful he is and how good he is.
1: What do you you think, obviously, this year, um, Leicester seemed to be on the chopping block quite early on obviously, without the uh, the Saracen situation. Um, what seems to be the issue going on this year? Because obviously, having the last, say, three or four years we've had recent successes, but this year seems to be completely different. What what seems to be the problem? Is it over-reliance on certain players who have not been available in injury, etc.? Or is there something internally, do you think, that's happening?
2: Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, looking from the outside in... You know they're probably not move move with the times. Um, you know they sort of probably stuck in. I know the Leicester mentality. It's it's we we do it the right way. We're Leicester. Um, you know, and they've probably been been caught out a little bit as the games moved on massively. Um, like if, all the games have been rerun over the last last. Few months from ten years ago, five years ago, you watch the games, and it's it's like a different sport. Like I watched that 2009 uh, semi-final. Like you look at the defense and you look at the attack. um, It's uh, so basic. Um, You know, it's 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 mad. So you know, you think if you if you take your foot off the pedal or you don't think forward for one two years, all of a sudden you get left behind. And um you know you've got to keep evolving, keep learning, um you know, and I'm sure Leicester, you know with the changes they're making, I'm sure they'll get back to where they need to be um you know ballthwick going in there will be great for them, um everything I hear about him seeing him operate in the England South as well, uh because so we went and trained against them uh, uh England last year with Bristol um you know he, he seems outstanding a great appointment, and you know that will leave Geordie to. To just keep keep putting his his hand to, towards the culture and the running of the club, um, because nobody knows the club better than Geordie Murphy. So, I'm sure I'm sure they will uh, they will get back to where they need to
3: be. So, say obviously mentioning about like Cockerell, the whole ethos at Leicester. You moved to Bristol, playing under and in the sort of culture of Pat Lamb, Like I've seen documentaries read about the whole culture he created at Connell everything how how it's almost like it comes across as a very family feel in that squad and looking outside in it looks like an unbelievably tight-knit group of players what is Pat Lamb like to work under
2: um, yeah I, I can't speak highly enough for Pat you know um, if I take you back to when I first signed for Bristol uh, you know I got sold the dream sold the vision you know we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do this, they had the stadium, uh, at the back of everything, Andy Robson was the coach. Um, so I was like, "Yeah, sounds great. I was 29, 30, I thought, you know, my last few years of my career, let's do something real special, get, get Bristol back up where they need to be. And the first year was absolutely horrendous. Uh, we went through three head coaches, the club was pretty unstable, it was very rocky and uh, you know for me I was tarnished with that brush Pat Lamb coming in not really not coaching in England not knowing that much about me only yeah. what would see me being part of that team so I'm sort of at 30 thinking oh my god like I've got to prove myself again to a head coach who hasn't signed me or oh, he's inherited me from mm. these other coaches and um You know, we were in a a bad place, to be honest, going down to the Championship. It'd have been tough to get back out if we'd have kept going on the same road we were going. And Pat just come in and completely changed everything about the club. The culture, the vision, the way that we did things, the the game plan, the way that we wanted to play the game. It was absolutely something that I've never seen before. And for for one man, he, he brought in some people with him who... Facilitated and helped him. Conor McPhillips is massive for him, uh, but he's the hardest, hardest working guy I've seen. Um, you know, and the culture and that it's just grown and grown each year that we've we've been together. And now it's truly, you know, his team. All the guys that he wants, um, you know, he's signed them, and uh, you know, he's really put the club back together and, and got them back. And, the dream that I signed up for uh, he's, he's managed to deliver.
1: Do you think um, things are going to be a lot more equal given the salary caps being reduced down to 5 million now? Obviously, in 2022 20, 23 season, the uh, the marquee player is going to be now down to one. Do you think that's now going to make life a little bit, I wouldn't say a little bit easy for Bristol, but start bringing you more in line with the Exeter, the Saracens? and pushing more towards that top four finish. Obviously, Saracen's not being there next year, but is it going to be a little bit more equal uh, spread for the next four years?
2: Yeah, I think, well, it gives everybody an opportunity. It gives everybody the same opportunity that they had before. Um, you know, the thing is, is like you can, you could spend 10 million, but it doesn't mean that you're going to win the league. If you don't have the right players buying into the same cause, and the right coaches delivering the right game plan, the right tactics, you, you can spend as much as you want. Um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't guarantee success. Um, you know, where it probably lies now with the salary cap, with the salary cap dropping down, it's one, how, how many players from your academy can you get through who are going to make a big difference? And how many players can you upskill and they perform above their their pay packet. Like you, you're still going to have the big signings. You're still going to have your semi drive drives your Charles Peters, because you know you going to the the competition's going to need those for it to be the the successful competition. It is to me, it's the best club competition in the world. To, mm-hmm. um, but you know you start devaluing it, um, it might become an issue. But you know, I think the Bristol Bristol didn't want to drop the salary cap from, from what I've read and from what I've heard from, from Steve in, in the media, but um, you know you've, you've got to go with it if it's going to save clubs and it's going to be best for the sport, but as well, you know you can see it the, the, the sport, they just want to sort themselves out and then want to grow it back up again. Do
1: you think it stuff Saracens a little bit more given the now and some of these higher players are going to remain. Re- Albeit some are going out on loan. Um, I think uh, one of the players is just. Uh, so, was it Lovzowski's just gone out? Yeah, Lovzowski's just... Lovzowski's uh, also... uh, oh, yeah. yeah. They're all, all dishing out their players, but some of the top players. But do you think, obviously, coming back into the Premiership is going to be a little bit tougher for them to keep these players? And is it it's going to completely change Saracens moving forward?
2: I think so. I think so. And obviously, they're going to have to be white and white. Um... And every club is now going forward but you look at some of those players that Saracens have developed wow. like your Toges your Cruz your Farrell like, and then they've got to pay them the megabook. so and they take up half of your cap so you sort of catch 22 really um, what to do so um, you know it's, it's difficult for them because they have produced so many good players and you know now they're paying the price but Obviously, they had brought in some unbelievable players as well, which probably took them up a bit.
1: Yeah, definitely. So obviously, um, Carl Sinclair is joining. Obviously, a big, big, a big signing in uh, in Bristol. Um, obviously, is he is he getting full in onto the uh, the old group chats and obviously giving the dishing it out a little bit, or has he uh, kind of remained quiet? Because he's not at training, is he? No,
2: no. Uh, I think our boys go back in a week or so, but. Um, no, he's he's been quiet. I've not heard a word from him. So you know he'll <laughs> he will be um,
1: you are. <laughs> That was very unexpected. I expected him to start dishing out from day dot.
2: No, I'm sure. I'm sure when he when the boys are in, I'm sure he'll get comfortable pretty quick, and you know the boys will accept him. But you know Johnny Afar as well. Even at his age, he'll still be going for him. Don't no worry. Oh, so,
1: yeah. But he's definitely a big sign for you guys. Is there any? Any more on the horizon? Or is it, obviously, I know you probably can't name names, but is there any more suspected to be uh, coming across that are going to see Bristol move to that next level?
2: No, I don't think so. I think, you know, the business that they've done has been good. Obviously, Sammy Rangarajar that mentioned, Carl Sinclair, Mick coming back. Um, you know, some some real good, good players. And then with a the mix of, of some young lads coming through as well. So... Um, you know, as we, we spoke about, if you want to stay in the cap, you've got to get that mix and you've got to get that balance right. Um, you know, and I think they've done that. And, um, you know, that's probably the way that it's going to be for most teams recruiting now. If you look at Pat's model and the, the way that he's done it, he sort of brings in the stardust, but then he also promotes within and finds some good guys from the championship and upskills
1: those. Um, you know, and that's probably the way that, that rugby is going now. Obviously, you mentioned the championship there, and obviously that's now going to become hot topic, um, given they've already lost 50% of their funding. Most clubs have now gone into the old, uh, we're going to have to go semi, um, semi-full-time, we're going to have to go part-time. Yeah. The end for them, uh, in the sense of this is the way forward where it's going to end up being a 13-team, 13-14-team premiership, and the championship's kind of now screwed essentially, or do you think they'll survive this? Because there is talks of them splitting off and pissing off elsewhere. Uh... Yeah,
2: you, you hope not. You hope not. After, you know, I played that one year in the Championship when we, we got relegated and we needed to get back to the Prem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you really hope not because there's some great clubs down there. You know, some real traditional old clubs as well. Um, you know, the, the heartbeat of the English game. So, um, you hope not, and and you know it's a great place for a lot of players. They start out there and learn their trade. Um, because as I spoke about when I started out 16 years ago, probably the standard was probably where the championship is now. Probably the championship's better than where I started out. So you know it's a lot harder to come straight into the Premiership at 18, 19, 20 because the standard's so high. It's the, the game the game's gone out of sight. So guys need a league that they can develop in and they can get better in, and then they can, you know, then they're ready to go when they get the opportunity instead of just going in for one or two games and then being spat back out. Um, You know, especially playing at a level where the games matter. Not, I'm not saying that the A League the games don't matter, but it's prematurely a development league. But the championship. Teams are trying not to get relegated. Teams are trying to finish as high as they can. Teams are trying to beat each other. Games that matter, you've got to have the experience on, you know, do we kick a goal? Do we not kick a goal? Do we, all these decisions in a game, end up with a, an effect on the result?
1: And, you know, playing at that level is great for, for the Umba lads. And do you think, obviously, with the RFU and what they've done in cutting that funding, and then with coronavirus causing even more issues, it, what, what do we do to maintain that league? Because from, from my looking in, it can't maintain. Obviously, those players are now to have to go part-time, all of them. There's no way they're going to be able to uh, manage to fund a full-time contract. Obviously, that then makes a dent in being premiership ready, and they won't be. And obviously, obviously, I've always seen the championship as a feeder for premiership rugby teams. And as much as people say they're not, they realistically, they have been. You've got, you had your top flight, you had your leads and you've got your new trail founders and the, and the relegated club for the premiership, but the rest downwards hadn't really had the funding and the, and the, and the means to go up. So they've always been feeders for the, the, the premiership teams. But if they go part-time, that's where that ends it. The, what do we need to do to come and see, stop that from ending? Because it's just not going to happen anymore.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think, you know, as soon as they as soon as they announced the, the cuts, you sort of saw the writing on the wall a little bit and yeah. and you know, as as I said, it's sad because it is such a good league, it's it's competitive, um, you know, but then the problem that some people see is the premiership team comes down because their budget and everything's so strong that it becomes sort of one and then eleven almost. Um, so yeah. does it I don't know. Do, if you if you make it a, a level playing field at that level, does it make it a better league? And then you, you sort of have a, go back to the old championship where they used to have a playoff with the bottom of the premiership at the end of the season. And, um, you know, you usually get a team who's out of form and a team who's been smashing the championship and you, you can get some funny results. But it's, it's such a tough one. It's a long debate that I don't have enough experience or enough say to talk about it. Um, you know all I can talk about is my experience of the Championship it always a good league Thought, you know the players that it produces is outstanding so you know I'd be all for to see you know it, it going forward but the, the difficulties are there if you haven't got the money
1: definitely it's, I mean, it's going to affect some of the Academy players that obviously a lot of the Academy players do end up in the Championship it is there and, and it's always been there so it is going to have a profound effect top to bottom, essentially.
2: Oh, 100%. Um, You know, and as I mentioned, the more competitive that that league is, the better and the quicker players develop and they can come play in the premiership.
3: So, just want to touch back on a little bit about your coaching, Jordan. Is that something you were always planning on going into? Or has that come about in sort of the last couple of years? No, that, that, it was always
2: the, the thing that I wanted to do. Right? People, um, you know, you talk about life after rugby and people bore you with it from a young age and you're like, oh, what are you going to do after rugby? And I was like, oh, I, I want to coach. always love the sort of the analysis of the game, the tactical, the technical, all that sort of stuff, the leadership, the mindset around it. Um, so it was always something that I, that I wanted to do. But you know, with anything, it's it's about opportunity, especially at the elite level. Um, you know, it's all well and good going. On. I want to coach, but if Bristol had given me the opportunity, it would have been very difficult to get into another team. Um, mm. So, and especially I, with the with everything going on now. So you know, I've been lucky that it's been smooth. Um, I'm staying at Bristol. Um, but it, yeah, 100%, it's always something I wanted to do. I, I uh, coached local club teams, um, coached North Bristol as soon as it, when I got down here. Uh, last year, I started off coaching the women and then got the uh, Bristol Bears women and then um, got the academy role. So then moved over to coaching that. Uh, when I was in Leicester, I coached Tamworth. Um, you know, So it's something that I've done and looked at this year of just, just finished my level three with the RFU. Um, so it's something that I've been planning to do, um, but just grateful that I've been managed to get this opportunity because, you know, you see a lot of players who might think, oh, I want to be a coach, I want to do this, and they come out, and then there's, there's not that many jobs to go around. So um,
1: it's definitely difficult. So obviously, last year's career, uh, it's been a number of years. Who was your bogey team? Who was the team when... Um, you knew you were coming up and you were just literally sat there going oh shit this is going to be an absolute bloodbath this is going to be a pain in the ass." who was your team that you that always crept in probably
2: when we were at Leicester especially when Saracens moved to that artificial pitch you'd go there and the wind would be coming down and we just didn't we never went well there never and the tide sort of turned so we beat them in the Prem Final in 2010 then they beat us in 2011 and then I think they brought in the artificial pitch and then I don't think apart from McWalfa Road I don't think I'll beat them again that was it it was, it was done um, you know they, they obviously brought in some great South African players and then they had the, the young lads coming through but they're so difficult to beat, especially on on the artificial pitch. I remember getting, get, never got beat like it with Leicester. We've got some absolute hide I'm talking like 50
1: points final. It was <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah, they, they definitely, when they brought our artificial pitch, it did raise a lot of, uh, raise their game a little bit because obviously they're used to it. Obviously, I got to play on that one time and it was an absolute pain in the backside trying to figure out where the ball is going when it bounces what is it doing and obviously underfoot you're just not used to it
2: yeah I, th- I think especially because it was the first one as well and nobody like nobody was training on and nobody was doing anything no like you know you're going to Saracens or you know you're going to Worcester the week before you will find a 4G and you'll train for the week ahead mm-hmm. on the 4G doing all that but back then, there wasn't any, you weren't nipping at your local RFU 4G pitch or you know your 4G pitch, it was literally like you, would, if you play, I remember playing in like December, so we're training on a flipping absolute bog at Oval Park and then going to Saracens and getting absolutely run around for fun by Chris Ashton, Shretel, it was just like, this is a joke.
1: Is it is it way forward though? Do you see more Premiership clubs adopting? Obviously, you've got Saracens, you've got Castle. Is it going to move forward? Just obviously, because it is easier to train on. It does last a lot longer, and obviously, yeah, you but to like, if you go down the bar on the boggy week. Obviously, that bottom corner is just an absolute pain in the backside. But
2: yeah, um, personally, like I'm not a massive fan. But that was probably because the way that I played the game and the way that that pitch was like obviously not the quickest so't really enjoy it but um, probably I've got a different perspective now so it's doing the under18s and the Academy League runs December to January so you do all the games are on 4G all the trainings on 4G because you need the, you need it available to be able to go so you think the last four or five years of players. That's all they've known. That's all they've done is 4G. So, yeah. you know, the next generation of players, they're probably going to be like, yeah, I love it. Love playing on that. Um, where probably my generation and a bit before me, they're like, oh, this, is, this is horrible. My knees are killing after being on it. and My back's gone and all of that. But, you know, if you're used to something, it, it becomes easier. But, for me, you can't be a Deso pitch at Exeter, or Ashton Gate, those sort of pitches, just unbelievable. For me, rugby
1: should be played on grass and in mud. It depends on uh, the position you play. Obviously, I'm I'm in the same generation as yourself. Obviously, Jack and Dom aren't. Uh, obviously, if you're a forward, you you're before London. then. What? I was say you're well well past it.
0: Got
1: it. But um, obviously as a back, I love 4G. So see, I was at Keithley and they just got it in as a back. Absolutely loved it. As long as you didn't let it bounce, it was great. Forwards, hated it every single time. But I guess it does come down to positions because under third, you're always on the ground. Obviously as a a winger, I hate getting tackled. Um, Too soft for that sort of shit. But yeah, it's definitely, uh, I think moving forward, a lot of the new school kind of forwards will get used to it.
2: Yeah, and I, mm. I, but I think like you saw, you see those Deso pitches like they're not nowhere near the boggy pitches that you spent ten years ago. They're immaculate, um, mm. you know, half and half, so you get the best of both, really. Definitely,
3: it's interesting you saying about like J.K. because which like, bit that, that you're young and I'm old, or <laughs> no, no. saying about the pictures as a back because like playing sort of like South Wales area and stuff,
0: well,
3: playing nine and ten, I would love playing on a grass pitch particularly if it was wet because I felt like you could manipulate the ball quite well whether you were kicking it or whether you were using the boards and everything as a bat I far preferred like you, stand still. you don't do anything <laughs> it's just it's one of those where like I feel you get more of a I prefer like the you don't know what's going to happen on grass really I just felt like it was a bit it was better General and for me, I felt safer underfoot, like transferring weight and
0: everything. You know? So, but well, yeah. I, I still, I still felt to believe both of your backs, but anyway. Um, normally we have scenario Neil on, he's uh not been able to make it, so. In his absence, we will ask his regular questions. So, the question is, Jordan, uh, he's literally asked every guest we've had on this series, and the question is. So you're locked down for two weeks, as opposed to the eleven that you already just have. You can't leave the house. Um, who would you be in lockdown with that would make it a nightmare? Who would you not stand to be in a studio flat with for two weeks?
1: Oh, I'm a bit upset you didn't do it in a uh, West Country accent. Ah,
0: actually... oh, sorry, I can't. I can't <laughs> accents. Oh, that's. Tough one, eh?
2: I, I don't know. because I'm so used to being at home with the family and stuff. It's been a long time since I've had to contemplate being in in a anywhere with anyone else. To be honest, um, I'm trying to think of bad roommates or some something that I've had. Um, mm-hmm. I, t- I tell you, who's the worst roommate I've ever had. <laughs> Lee, do you remember Lee Robinson, Bristol winger, was yeah. there for a very short time. Mm-hmm. Um, room with him when he's at Leicester like, it, like you come back you use both towels it'll stole your pillows <laughs> you like like stunk out of the place so if anyone it's going to be him
1: oh yeah, play. lucky who, right. would make, who would make it a dream for you oh, I'm going to go different who would actually be the nicest person to be with it could be the best coach best pants who, who would make it a dream
2: other probably, than probably going from the Bristol boys right now, probably just left. Ian Madigan would probably, especially now the racing started up again. With, uh, <laughs>
1: Get a few bets on.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'd just, just be on that all day, chilling out, bit of training uh, on the races. It'll be all good.
1: Yeah, you like your training because I think I'm, I read it on Wikipedia and I think one of the things known for his exceptional physique I think it was. Uh, did, did you
2: yeah, absolutely? I've been. You ask any of the boys, like that's the one thing, like body fat stuff like that. I've been horrendous through my whole career. It's, think, have you, have I, one of the
1: lads just gone on to Wikipedia and start changing it for the for the band? I think,
2: I think my mum
3: did it. Of <laughs> course, <laughs> we've got. A couple more scenario questions. One that has been asked most weeks now, and then I've got an interesting coaching scenario one for you. So, the first one is: if you could go back in time now, to your sixteen-year-old self, what would be the one piece of advice you would give yourself?
0: Uh,
2: as a as a player, it probably be it would probably be that the lifestyle. So, if if I go back to when I was, when I was younger, especially at Leeds, I was pretty I was pretty hard dedicated. To, I've been dedicated my whole career, but like I would go, especially when I was at Leicester, when I was established. I'd go away for four weeks. I'd go on the piss. I'd get fat. I'd do all that. And then I sort of got to about 29:30 when I sort of moved to Bristol and I've never worked as hard in my life, especially off season if we we're ever having a break or whatever, just to maintain a base level of where I'm at. So it'd probably be to, like I didn't make a tour to Australia with England because I did terrible on RFU fitness tests. So you imagine missing out on a full England tour Australia because you did terrible on our RFU fitness test. So it would be maintain that level of fitness and just especially when you're off, just that little bit more dedication, hard work and goes a long way.
3: Brilliant. and um, the other one, Neil often asks um scenario which is alcohol related. As as some people know, alcohol is not my best friend at the moment, so I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask a coaching-related one, which is, you're a bit like uh, Dr. Frankenstein in this case, and you get to create your dream coach from any three coaches you've had. Which three coaches would you combine to create the ultimate coach?
1: say the, the, uh, just because he's your coach now. That doesn't count. <laughs> but, uh, you can't say Pat Lamb just because he's the coach now.
2: Okay, coach. so he's not Pat. So... If we we'll go through probably the ones who had the most influence on me, so
0: um, Stuart Lancaster, Glad. Cockers, Matt O'Connor, nice, perfect, nice one. Well, uh, Jordan, thank you very much for your time this evening. It's been a uh, been a pleasure to have you on. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. And uh, we'll catch you soon. Good luck with your uh, your your new job, and uh, when the season gets going, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, speak to you soon. Cheers guys. Thank you very much.